This is Mike Wood. All right. All right. First of all, as you guys were speaking, as you guys were talking about this youth mission trip, something, I keep a letter in the back of my Bible. And uh, excuse me if I get shaken up a bit, but it's a letter. I've been in uh, youth ministry for about, gosh, six years, six years now. And working with teenagers is tough. Um, praise God for the workers. Uh, working with teenagers is tough. I'm surrounded by dedicated workers, including my wife and, and a few others that I asked to take two weeks off, and they rebuked me. <laughs> no, we can't. Not during the summer. We can't take time off during the summer. And I was like, oh my goodness. Uh, but I was reminded of a letter as we were talking about betrayal, and it says, I think I've realized that things that even though I have weed and sexual temptations, they go away. They are temporary pleasures. I feel these temporary pleasures. I quit the things that are most important to me. I need your help to set me back on track. Please help me find a way to talk to Mike or Taylor so that I can confess and receive forgiveness what I have done. If it is not too much, Lord, I'd also like to ask for guidance so that I can be led away from drugs, sexual interactions, and bad grades. Please help me, Lord. I will always believe in my heart that you are my Savior. I want to turn my life around to serve you and use the gift you have given me. I love you, Lord. I will not let anything get in the way from now on. That's a beautiful letter from a student. Unfortunately, the news that I come to share with you isn't that he turned his life around at that moment. Matter of fact, when we were together with one another at the 4th of July parade, if anybody remembers, towards the end, um, we were sort of cleaning off the bus, and there was a young man that came up to me with a camera. And he came up to me and he said, hey, I just wanted to, that was the young man that wrote this letter. And he was a man that came to faith and was on fire and his whole life was in shambles. Betrayal from his father, betrayal from his stepfather. His whole life was just in shambles. And he found himself time and time again trying to come back to the Lord, come back to the Lord. And what I find, as you talked about this missional work, is that it was these small churches that kept coming alongside these kids that kept coming alongside the unchurched, that kept coming alongside people that wouldn't know about Jesus unless, if it, were, unless it were for these small churches that were reaching out as far as they can and just bringing the good news. And I want to just say I appreciate you guys more than you could imagine. As me and my buddy Bradford were walking in, we heard the music blaring, and I thought what a powerful message to take a stance in the middle of a community and say here we are, and we're just going to love you whether you like it or not. Whether you like it or not, we're just going to love you. We're going to show you who Jesus is, and we're just going to be here for you. So I, I really wanted to take a moment just to share that. That wasn't part of the plan, but Lord has a funny way of laughing at my plan. So, there's a, so I, on behalf of Pastor Craig, thank you so much for allowing me for, to come and share God's word with each and every one of you here. So as you said, that one conference, um, my cousin Bobby was there, and he ended up uh, coming to faith that day. And I talked to him. I had a conversation with him a week ago, and he said, Mike, something changed within me a year ago. And he couldn't pinpoint it. And I was like, why, why are you not saying what changed? And I was like, the one conference. Remember, you professed, you, you invited God into your life, and the Holy Spirit took you over, and now you're seeing a new way. You're thinking a new way. Everything is new to you because you're a new creator. 
creation in Christ. So praise God for the work that's being done in this community right here um, with, the, with your church, with our church, with the universal church as a whole. I thought how cool it is you guys have a pastor of all pastors where he doesn't go on vacation, he goes on mission trips. <laughs> there's, there's, I'm going to take time away, but I'm going to go to Korea and go teach people the Bible. There's, um, that's incredible. Your youth, I'm so encouraged by that. And it was such a joy to experience the 4th of July parade with you guys. Uh, there was a young man, and I, could, I don't see him here, but there was a young man that was, uh, he was passing out bags of candy off the bus. And I was running and jumping on the bus. You said I was lagging behind. <laughs> I was running. I can't stop my energy, so, so bear with me. So I was running and jumping on the bus and grabbing bags of candy. And I told him, I pointed at him, I said, hey, you're a superstar. And it was as if he was offended. Oh, no, no, not me. And he goes, this is for God. And there he is, you. <laughs> Thank you. So, so absolutely, now, there's, I love you. There's, thank you for that illustration. So absolutely, and I thought, what a representation of Village Church. Here's a young kid coming up in your church, and he said, no, 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 don't point at me. This is for God's glory. Even the candy and the water that's being passed out to the community, this is all to glorify our Lord. And what a great representation of Village Church and who you guys are. So thank you for being you, and praise God for who you're becoming. Uh, Now, if you go to that one slide... You can see a picture of my wife and I, and this is, our, this is our youth group. So our youth group is super fun, energetic. I'm sure yours is as well, and we'd love to team up with you guys and, and just uh, see what happens from there. This is a picture of uh, me, my wife, and my son Joey. And uh, there's, as you can see, I married way out of my league. So, so there's, um, I don't know, the, we met at church and I had asked her out a few times and she denied me, just like Peter denied Jesus. So there was, uh, <laughs> finally, she said yes. And uh, we met at a Starbucks and I, and I explained to her my past. And if you guys knew my past, it's not an easy thing to explain because we all have a past. Um, right? Many of us, we all have a past. So I explained to her my past. And she looked at me with no judgment. And I was like, Lord, this has to be the one. And so we've been married a little over a year now. Praise God for that. When In recovery, uh, so I, I come up and I minister a lot to the recovery world. And when people get years of sobriety, they say, how'd you do it? How'd you do it? When we got a year anniversary, I thought our church was going to say, how'd she do it? How'd she do it? <laughs> there's, there's, because that's a, that's, a, that's a tough thing to live with me. But she does it. And um, we're grateful for the work that the Lord is doing through our lives. Uh, so... Just to recap on where you guys are at, that's a little bit about me. So you guys, I told you were a responsive church, so feel free to respond. Your first, your first week of the series was overcoming, uh-oh, uh-oh, where you came from. Overcoming where you came from. Then it was overcoming jealousy. Then overcoming when God is distant. Then overcoming abandonment. And last week, unmet expectations. This week, we're going to talk about overcoming betrayal. When the word betrayal comes up, I'm just going to let you sit for a moment. What do you think of? When the word betrayal comes to your mind, comes in front of you, what is it you think of? What has been done to you? And how have you reacted in the midst of betrayal? 
And I find it strange that the ones you love the most usually hurt you the most. Some of you may feel the sting of betrayal from a parent who walked out on you or just simply wasn't around. Many people hear the word betrayal and immediately, immediately think of infidelity. If you have a child who is choosing to stay lost in his or her sin, you may feel betrayed. If you've been laid off, pushed aside, ignored by those you have trusted, you obviously have felt betrayed. Keep this in mind. You guys previously went through abandonment. Betrayal is not abandonment. Abandonment says, woe is me, while betrayal says, I'll get vengeance. Betrayal says, I'll get them back. Betrayal is simply a violation of one's trust. Through Joseph's account in the scriptures, we see this phenomenal power when the divinity of God overrules the humanity of Joseph. Our human response when it comes to betrayal is always, or usually always, I'll give vengeance. But God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Our human response is to get even with those who have betrayed us. And if most of us were put in Joseph's shoes, we may not have taken the high road. Personally, I've carried around bitterness and resentment for years of events that have stemmed from me being betrayed, whether it was by family members, friends, or even institutions. Being betrayed is one of the hardest things to overcome. The lingering effects of betrayal in my life have allowed me to justify and to rationalize some of my most outlandish behavior. I did this because of this happening to me. I acted that way. And I've even had people on board that would say, you know what? He was betrayed by his father. He has a right to act that way. But how does Joseph do it? How does Joseph get through these these betrayals that happen to him? Here's a little background. Here's just a few of Joseph's betrayals. His brothers told him about this dream. They laughed at him and basically said, how dare you? We're going to get rid of this guy. They threw him in a well for a little bit. Then they decided to sell him off. (laughs) Out with Joseph. The cupbearer in prison promised him things, left him high and dry. There's, yeah, I'm going to mention you. Don't worry, I got you, I got you. Leaves him high and dry. Potiphar's wife lies about him. And initially, as we read through Genesis 42, Joseph may seem cruel at moments, and he may seem, dare I say, even ungodly at moments. His brothers are going to show up, basically at his doorstep, begging for food. They have the money for it. It's not like they're, they're, they're in need, they're poor, they don't have anything. They have the money to pay for it. Joseph's going to imprison them. And we see a couple things from Joseph as we read. And here's two things to keep an eye out for. 
One of those is a weeping heart. Joseph's going to weep. We would have to ask the question, why would Joseph weep? And the other is godly restraint. We see godly restraint from Joseph. My favorite two words in the Bible are these, but God, right? But God. Each of our lives probably has these but God type of moments. See, Joseph could have gotten even, as many of us would have, but God, who is rich in mercy. Now, these two words aren't said exclusively in the scripture we're reading together, but it's apparent to me that Joseph could have done a lot of harm when his brothers come in front of him. But God moments are the ones where the Lord intervenes in our lives. The moments when our human nature is overruled by the divine spirit that the Lord has gifted to us. With each of Joseph's circumstances, the Lord presses a question on each of our hearts. What will Joseph do? What will Joseph do? The question I'm hoping the Lord is going to impress on your heart today, what would you do? When in the midst of betrayal, what will you do? What would you do? What have you done? in the midst of betrayal. We're going to go to God's word. So if you want to get um, stationed in Genesis 42, you can go right ahead and do that. If you got your your phones and you want to get on your Bible app, go for it. There's, um, this is a time where I tell our youth students, this is not a time for Instagram. Uh, This is a time for God's word. So let's, and as we go to God's word, I'm just going to pray for us and really ask God, um, to reveal his truth to us. So allow me to pray. Heavenly Father, we bow before you as we open your word in complete humility. We ask that you empty us of every form of self that stands in the way of ultimately seeing you for all that you are. Lord, overflow us with the spirit that you've given us. God, we praise you and thank you for all that you've done. God, I ask personally that you relieve me from the bondage of self so that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties so that victory over them may bear witness to those that are in front of me. May we love you always. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Somebody once said to me, dude, that's really strange that you'll get on your knees in front of a group of people and And I said, gosh, if you've seen some of the pictures from my past, that's not strange at all. (laughs) That's that's actually easy for me to do. So Genesis 42, um, verses 1 through 5, I'll give you a quick, uh, a brief little introduction on what they are. So there's this moment where uh, Joseph's father, whose name is... Okay, thank you. I just wanted to see if anybody, because a responsive church, I just want to make sure you guys are plugging along with me. So Joseph's father, and so his brothers and his father are sitting there, and there's a famine in, the, in their land, in the land of Canaan. And they have this moment where 
Jacob is like, hey, we know where food is. We need you to go and get it. And the brothers just sit there and stare at each other. And I grew up in a pretty big family with a lot of cousins, and, and I got a, an older sister, younger brother, and we had a lot of family get-togethers and whatnot, and just every day was. And my mom used to scream from the kitchen, and she'd say, hey, these dishes aren't going to do themselves. And we'd sit there and look at each other, like, oh, are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? That, that's so far away. And I mean, there's... <laughs> So when they got to go to the land where Joseph is governor, um, the land of Egypt, they got to travel. So they say, yeah, we know where the grain is, but we're going to go that far away. So now we'll come to verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Imagine this moment for Joseph. My dream is coming to fruition. My dream is happening. I told you. I told you. But he doesn't go that route. There's a couple things to keep your eye on. What are Joseph's responsibilities of the land? One, he's the governor. He's pretty high up there. And two, he's the one who sells everything to the people of the land. So he's in charge of like distribution, basically. So he's the governor, and he's got, he's got the charge of who to sell to what, and what, what to sell to who, and so on and so forth. Verse 7, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Now you come to a crossroads here, because the human nature in me if I had this group of people that betrayed me, that did what they did, I'd be pointing in their face and saying, look at me now. Look at this. Look at where I'm at. I told you you were going to bow down before me. I tried warning you guys of this. Joseph acts like he doesn't recognize them. He speaks roughly to them, where this is where I see the, sort of the humanity of Joseph, where there's, why, why is he speaking so roughly to them? And he says, where do you come from? They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. The audacity. I, I'll share with you a story, and I won't get too um, caught up on who the people were, but I know a young man. And his mother was lost in addiction, and he was at a gas station pumping gas. And his mother came up to him and said, Excuse me, sir, do you mind if, can you spare any change for me? And this overwhelming anger took over him. And he thought, How could you not recognize me? I'm your, I'm your blood. And he let her have it right there in the middle of the gas station. And I think. That's what most of us would do. And he just, he just laid into her with such hurt. And so here Joseph is. But we got to keep in mind, in the previous chapter, in Genesis 41, 51, verse 51, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. He said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. So moving on to verse 9, Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. 
And he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. Verse 10, They said to him, No, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. <laughs> what in the world? Honest men? Ah, Joseph's brothers just said they're honest men. Have we not seen what they've done to the man who stands before them? And they have the audacity to say, we're honest men. And he said to them, no, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, we, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. Obviously referring to the person they're talking to. But Joseph said to them, it is as I said to you, you are spies. By this you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Verse 16, send one of you and let him bring your brother while you remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. There's always something special when it comes to three days. There's always something special happening when it comes to three days. Uh, and, and Joseph, I, I have to imagine, I have to think that when we think of the question, what will Joseph do? Or when we beg the question, what would I do? There has to be this thought about the battle between flesh and spirit. Between flesh and spirit. So remember Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. See, there's a special, you can always see in somebody's life when divinity overrules their humanity. When there's no longer, they're so emptied of self that they have nothing but the, human, the, the Holy Spirit to rely upon. The battle that we go through every day, the battle of flesh and the battle of spirit, is some of the reasons that we need to continue to lean into the Lord. Lean into the Lord. The question comes forth here. What will Joseph do? His brothers have finally come bowing at his feet. His dream is finally coming to fruition. He has a chance to really get even here. And we're about to see what Joseph does. But again, I impose the question to you. What would you do? What have you done in the midst of betrayal? When betrayals come in front of you, what have you done? How have you reacted? Verse 18, on the third day, I love the third day. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. Going back to that battle between flesh and spirit, Joseph's been in three days. He's got his brothers right where he wants them. And he's got this, this 
this image, and he keeps going back to fearing God, fearing God, fearing God. And imagine if our fear and our reverence for God was greater than the hurt we have experienced from those who have betrayed us. Imagine that. If our fear and our reverence for God was greater than the hurt we have experienced from those who have betrayed us. If that were the case, our hearts may weep as we read Jesus' words in Matthew 6 when he said, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. My heart wept as I was bitter towards somebody who had harmed me so long ago, holding on to resentment, holding on to pain. And then I read the scriptures and Jesus tells me, if you don't forgive, you're not forgiven. But God, don't you know what they did? Yeah, no, I know. But if you don't forgive, you're not forgiven. But God, they did this to me. They stole from me. They hurt from me. They abused me. But... If you don't forgive, you're not forgiven. Going back to Joseph, he reminds them of what they said. In verse 19, he says, If, if you are honest, men, let one of your brothers remain confined where you are in custody and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households. Bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, as we read this, think about a design for repentance. Then they said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. Here's a message within a message. Do not get in the way of God's design for repentance. The brothers are having a moment here where they're seeing their sin. They're seeing their sin. Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen? Right before that, they say, in truth, we are guilty. In truth, we are guilty. We never want to be the ones who get in the way of God's design for repentance. Verse 23, they did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. Joseph turned away from his brothers and he wept. Why is Joseph weeping? I believe Joseph was weeping because his brothers are starting to see their own sin. The scripture right before that, they said to one another, in truth we are guilty concerning our brother. And they're starting to see their sin. I believe Joseph was weeping because his brothers are starting to see their own sin and all the hurt they have caused. There's something special when sinners repent. Jesus said about sinners repenting 
There is joy before the angels of God when one sinner repents. We talked about baptism. Oh, I love baptisms. You'll see me get all choked up and teary-eyed and turn into a little schoolgirl because I just, I just, I love seeing a sinner repent. There's something powerful, and it brings about a weeping heart. Jesus says there is joy before the angels. There's parties in heaven when one sinner repents. So returning to the scripture, Joseph returned to them and spoke to them. And he took Simeon from them, bound him before their eyes. And Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain. Check this out. And to replace every man's money in his sack. And not only that, to give them provisions or protection for their journey. This was done for them. This is how Joseph reacts to betrayal. Spends three days contemplating, praying with God. Comes down to the fact, I fear God. I fear God more than I fear myself. And I know I can do damage right here, but I fear God. And then he gives them back. He gives them the grain that they want to purchase. But not only that, he gives them the money. And then he gives them protection and provision on their way. I wish, I desire to have a heart like Joseph, to respond to betrayal in such a way. We're going to close out the scriptures in these last few verses. Verse 26, they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back in my sack. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. At this, their hearts failed them, and they turned trembling to one another, saying, what is this God has done to us? A but God moment, right? But God who is rich in mercy. What is this God has done for us? The brothers are overcome with joy as they see what God has done for them. But we see it was God who gave Joseph the power to overcome the betrayal that had happened to him. See, betrayal can appear to be an obstruction in your path, but more times than not, it's an opportunity to glorify God. When the Lord empowers us to overcome betrayal, we experience those but God moments. We may have experienced a a but God type of moment when we received eternal salvation because of our faith in Jesus. And I've been talking about a lot what happens when we're betrayed. But think about this for a second. second. Our salvation comes from us recognizing that we have betrayed God. Our salvation comes comes through a repentance and a belief. We have to understand that we're sinful in need of a Savior because we've betrayed God in our sin. Part of me, there's this battle, as I talked about, between flesh and spirit. If he can forgive me for so much betrayal I've done against him, how can I hold on to this bitterness of what somebody has done against me? 
If I can be forgiven for all, all of the betrayal that I've done against God, am I trying to play God when I hold on to the hurt that I feel for the betrayal that's done against me? And I don't want to minimize some of the betrayals that people have gone through. I really don't. I, and I know there's some hard things that people have experienced. So I definitely, I do not want to minimize that. Um, my wife's a marriage and family therapist. And she gets all day um, people talking about betrayal. And she has to help couples sort through it, sift through it, stuff like that. Um, I've been in the, the drug addiction field for years now. And most of the times, a lot of drug addiction stem, stems from some sort of trauma um, or betrayal where somebody's trust was violated. And people tend to turn to some sort of band-aid or some sort of temporary pleasure. And when they turn to it, they find there's a bit of fulfillment. But it's an ending fulfillment. So we need to know as we overcome, as we come across betrayal, as we've come across betrayal, we know that it's not easy. It's an obstruction in our path, but it's also an opportunity for us to glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our betrayal against him has been washed clean, wiped away. We have a spot in heaven, even though... As we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We are, as Paul called us, or Paul called himself, the chiefest of sinners of those who have betrayed God. Betrayal may happen in our lives. The definition of betrayal, according to Merriam-Webster, is a violation of a person's trust or confidence, of a moral standard, and we got to remember, the greatest act of all mankind came through Christ's death on a cross, his resurrection, but none of this would have happened if it wasn't for the betrayal of Judas. We've been sanctified because of betrayal that happened to our Lord and Savior. God can and will test us through betrayal, and he'll use our betrayal for his glory. And again, that's not to minimize what anybody's going through. Because trust me, when betrayal comes up, there was a lot of things just piercing my heart. Hey, remember this, remember this, remember this. So our first point, if we want to overcome betrayal, we must meet betrayal with forgiveness. Remember what Jesus specifically told us. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Meet betrayal with forgiveness. Point number two. We're representatives of Jesus, even to those who have betrayed us. And as a matter of fact, I'd say especially to those who have betrayed us, especially to those who have hurt us the most. In the midst of betrayal, fix our eyes on Jesus. If you don't have a memory verse for this week, go with Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. 
which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Fix our eyes on Jesus, even in the midst of betrayal. Point number three when it comes to betrayal, and here's where I sort of flip the script. We got to own our share. We got to own our share. Even if you were 1% of the problem, you must take ownership of 1% of the problem. You got to take 100% ownership of that 1% that you're responsible for. As followers of Jesus, we should not cower at the thought of betrayal because nothing, absolutely nothing happens by mistake. We serve a great big God and he works all things for the good of those who love him. My biological father was barely present in my life. And now through this, as I said earlier, I had a lot of instances in my life where I could use them and sort of rationalize and justify the way that I acted, the way that I acted. And, and, and a lot of people in worldly places would say, hey, you're right. Yeah, this happened to you. You, you could act like this. You could do this. You could do that. So my, my biological father was, was barely present. I, and, and it was tough for me, especially as I got older and I started seeing like fathers at baseball games and this and that. And what he would do... And now, granted, I want to be honest with you. I don't want to bring dishonor upon my father. Um, this was, he was going through his own battles. And, and what he would do, though, is he had the best intentions at hand, but he would tell me, hey, Mikey, I'll be here next week for your football game. And I'd just be you know, super giddy and, yeah, my dad's going to be here. Next week would come, no show. Week after that, no show. Six months would go by, he'd pop up again. Hey, Mikey, let's go buy a glove. Yeah, my dad's here. I'm going to buy a glove. And then all of a sudden, no show. No show. And so on and so forth. I came to a crossroads in my life where the Holy Spirit prompted me to go be reconciled with the betrayer of my life. To go be reconciled with him. Not to point out his faults or his defects or anything like that. Not to even mention anything that he did. But to go to him and ask forgiveness for everything that I did towards him. And I've wrestled with God. Oh my goodness, I've wrestled with God. I did not want to do this. I don't want any part of this. And I, I remember it, this was going back maybe seven years. I didn't have a license, so I had to ask my mom to drive me to meet my dad. And there was, a, it was, just, there was this just battle of, God, how in the world could I do such a thing? Because he doesn't deserve it. He missed out on all that. He doesn't deserve this was my rationale. So I go to him. We went to uh, the grave site of my grandparents, and he met us there uh, over at Mount Carmel Cemetery. And um, I sat in the car with him, and I said, I said, Dad, I want to I make an amends to you, and I want to ask your forgiveness. And he, he sort of knew the process that I was going through, and he said, okay. And he let me speak. I said, I want to ask your forgiveness because every time your name was mentioned, I took every chance I could to take hard lefts and hard rights at you. And I talked bad about you tremendous amounts, and I'm sorry for that. I blamed you for my heroin and cocaine addiction. I blamed you for the hurt that you brought on my mom, my sister, and me. 
and I did all these things to you, and I just, I, I just want to ask for your forgiveness. And we looked at each other with tears in our eyes, and he said, son, I need to ask you for forgiveness. See, when we, when we meet betrayal with the power of forgiveness, the same forgiveness that was given to us, the greatest betrayers of God, when we meet betrayal with this power, there's nothing, nothing that can stop what the Lord has planned. We've been betrayed. I know that. But we've also betrayed people. And there may be some people that we've got to go and ask forgiveness whether it's been 20 years, whether it's been five years, whether it's been two days, some of us may need to go to work tomorrow say, hey, will you forgive me for this? Because we all know how much betrayal hurts us, so imagine what it does to the other person. Imagine God's heart as teenagers drift away from the faith into the world. Imagine God's heart as people turn to alcohol, turn to pornography, turn to these things and, and place these idols above God. Imagine God's heart as he weeps for his children as we have all betrayed our Father in heaven. So we experience these but God moments in the midst of betrayal. We have betrayed God, yes, but God, who is rich in mercy, has forgiven us our trespasses. Therefore, we must meet betrayal with forgiveness because we are representatives of the Most High. Lastly, own your share. I know it's tough, I know, but own your share. Even if it were a small part that you played, you have to take full ownership and perhaps make amends with that person. With these in order, you will experience those but God moments. Some of the most miraculous moments you can experience as you walk with Jesus. So here's your marching orders. Be a people whose lives are overruled by the Holy Spirit. The divine spirit of God should overrule our human nature. Trust me, the battle is tough. That's why the apostle Paul warns us of it. The battle is tough between flesh and spirit. But like Joseph, who was obedient to God, who was a man who feared God, was more concerned about how to please God rather how to please his flesh and get vengeance on his brothers. When divinity overrules humanity, that's when lives are transformed. When divinity overrules humanity, that's when lives are transformed. When divinity overrules humanity, lives are transformed. Now, I think we have a great witness that comes from this sermon. And the witness is, one, 
that we can overcome betrayal. But two, that we can witness to the world, to the people closest to us, about how deep and how great and how loving our God is, that he would forgive us our trespasses so that in that we can forgive others their trespasses against us. Our greatest responsibility should be Jesus' last words. And that, that being the Great Commission. And I know it's hard to carry out the Great Commission when you have betrayal on your back. So I'm going to pray that each of you goes home tonight. And a couple things that you think of. One is, have I forgiven fully? Or do I need to be forgiven? And that's just with, with, with God. Do you need to ask God for forgiveness? Is there something that's unconfessed? Uh, and then... Go and be a witness to the world of how great our God is. Let me close this in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. Lord, I pray that you saturate your word in us. You speak through your book. And we just hold on to everything that you give us. Father, I thank you for the the assembly that you've gathered within this midst. I pray that we can see our sin so that our sin doesn't hold us captive to ultimately carrying out your will and your ways. Lord, let each and every heart in here be drawn closer to you as they read your word, as they pray to you faithfully, and as they bring your good news out into the world. Lord, I pray for Village Church. I thank you for the leadership that you've instilled here. I thank you for having a church that we can come alongside in the community with the same mission to carry your gospel to the nations. Lord, many hearts have been open to, to betrayal of the past and, and even um, let this, if there's not betrayal of the past, let this be a spiritual deposit that we can hold on to for when betrayal comes our way just as it came your way. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.